God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. That's the encouragement our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, has for us as the Bible bus takes us to 1 Corinthians 10. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host on this exciting adventure through God's entire word. And as you find your seat and you turn to 1 Corinthians, Greg and I have a quick update for you. From time to time, Steve, we like to use these fireside chats uh, with our audience, although we don't have a fire here in the studio. Thank goodness. Yeah, it'd be a problem. We're hot enough already. Yeah, and we live in Southern California, so yeah. we don't even like to talk about fires. But these these lovely chats that we get to have where we can open our hearts and share with our listening family, and, and we love it when we hear back from you in response to what we're sharing. Um, and today we want to do something that we do from time to time, which is talk about our core values. And let's talk about... One of the biggest core values, which is what? Well, that the Bible is for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And we're yeah. going to get the word of God out to as many people as we can in as many different languages and places and stations of life that they're currently in. Yeah. And, you know, Steve, I've been in the I call it the vocational ministry world because we're all in full time ministry yes. and you've been in the business world and lots of ministry uh, in your life. But what I've often seen is that people seem to think they need to come up with something clever to reach people. And I think what we're trying to say to all of us as an encouragement is the Bible is enough. The Word of God is enough, and it is for everyone. Yeah, and we see that in the responses that we get, both internationally as well as domestically. I mean, we get kids that are homeschooled and not homeschooled writing in. We've got pastors. We've got you know, skeptics, uh, someone who's far from God, someone who was a prodigal who has come back to God. Yeah. So many different life stations. I think about over-the-road truckers. I think about prisoners. I yeah. think about doctors on their lunch break. I mean, just the number of letters, trash men, uh, just working guys uh, and w- men and women, mail carriers. It, it, it runs the gamut of the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, and one reason, I mean, we love the Word of God, and we love to, as we often say, fling it out there using media, because as you just sort of painted a picture, which is a great picture, we never know where the seed is going to end up. And you know that one of my all-time favorite stories was that woman that you know, came from a Christian home, sort of fell off the path, ended up as a as an adult dancer, mm. and used to leave work and sit in her car and listen. And she said the announcer's voice gave me peace. I mean, would you ever yeah. just personally would you ever imagine God could use you to reach no. someone like that? Yeah, no. So and it's it's humbling, isn't it? And it it's is. the power of God's word. And and some others we have on the list. I like you know for the godly and for those who are trying to be godly, and maybe for those who are not so godly. Yeah, you know, Doctor. McGee is always putting those cookies on the bottom shelf saying, look, the word of God is for you because it doesn't matter where you are. We're going to point you to Jesus. Yeah. And that's that definitely if there if there was one core value, it would be that. um, And this is really from Dr. McGee. And I remember it was on his pulpit at Church of the Open Door. It's would, sir, that we we would see Jesus. Yep. And that's his main focus. And so the more that we can point people to Jesus Christ, um, the more effect it's going to have, the more impact it's going to have. Yeah. And I know there's one of the epistles when he's teaching through, he tells that lovely story about his friend who went to Niagara Falls, had never been there, and looks at the window and says, that's the biggest picture of Niagara Falls I've ever seen. 
realizes, no, it's the it's actually a window. And then Dr. McGee gets so passionate and he says, if we are not a window pointing people to Jesus Christ, let's let's go off the air tomorrow. And uh, we've tried to imbibe that and continue that. Um, And that's really the heart of the whole through the Bible ministry. You know, people often ask us, why is God using through the Bible? And there's many reasons. But I always say, you know, he's always pointing us to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And God is so faithful in honoring his word. And through the Bible's goal is to get people into the word of God. And I really think that's why God chooses to use the ministry in such a powerful way so long after. After Dr. McGee has gone home to be with the Lord. Yeah, it's it's simple, but it's profound. Uh, and maybe just uh, we have a, a little bit of time. We could share a couple verses that sort of underscore this idea that, you know, Jesus is the living word. We share the written word. But Jesus is the living word. Yeah, I immediately think of Hebrews 4, where it Mm -hmm. says that the word of God is living and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Yes, absolutely. And also, uh, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so we know, we know from Luke 24 that the whole Bible is God's word, it's Jesus' word to us, and that it all speaks of him. Yeah. And that's one of the unique things that Dr. McGee has has done with the teaching of the Word when he went through the Bible for the five-year program. He makes some cultural references to those of the day, more so on his Sunday sermons. I think he really consciously tried not to do that on the Monday through Friday program. But I think about Isaiah 40 where it says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. And that's the timeless teaching of his Word. I have a, a, a friend in my small group who, since we're going through the study in Acts, uh, the guidelines, it's not guidelines, the Bible, Bible companion, companion for Acts is the one that I forgot about, but we're going through the Bible <laughs> companion for Acts. Yeah. And so I've got uh, folks in my small group that have never listened to through the Bible and they're now listening. Yeah. And one of the guys just figured out that Dr. McGee's been gone for like, I don't know, how long has it been? Like 30 years? 34 years, years or 34 so. 34 yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. not even 34 years old. It's like the guy yeah. was gone before you were even born. And he said, I can't believe it because his teaching is so practical and so relevant to today. It's just timeless. And that's really as much a reflection on the Word of God as it is Dr. McGee's teaching. Absolutely. Greg, we got so much more we could talk about. Why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Yes. Father, in John 6, Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that that is our cry to you, Lord. We have nowhere else to go but to you and your Word. And we thank you that Dr. McGee is teaching us your word and pointing us to Jesus. I pray that that would be real in our lives and that we would duplicate that in the lives of others by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's dive into our study of 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 22 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, today our study brings us to the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians And now we are going to see it in another area, and the illustration that will be given to us will, of course, be the nation Israel. Now he says, moreover, brethren, and he had just said in the last chapter, the last verse, in fact, the last thing he had said, he says that, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be disapproved. Paul said that he did not want to be disapproved at the judgment seat of Christ. He wanted to receive a reward. Now he goes on, he says, Moreover, brethren, now that begins chapter 10, are for, brethren, 
I would not that ye should be ignorant. And here we go again. When Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, you can always put it down that the brethren are ignorant. And they are here about this. He says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, the church in Corinth, largely a Gentile church, but made up with probably just as many of the nation Israel. We think today that a Jewish Christian is something that's unusual. Well, back in those days, they thought a Gentile Christian was something unusual. And now he says, for all our fathers. But he may not be including the church, and I'm sure he's not in this. When he says all our fathers, he means those of us who are Israelites. And Paul happened to be one of them. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, now not with all of them, but with many of them, and actually the word in the Greek means, but with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now this shows how far you can go and still be a believer. And it reveals to you what wonderful liberty these people had when they crossed the Red Sea. See, the law had not been given at that time. And at that particular time, they were not under law. They had great liberty, but they abused that liberty. And always, privilege is no insurance against ultimate failure. That is something that many a rich man's son has had to learn, and many a man who's had certain privileges granted him in politics in the political realm or in the business world or in the social world or in any world for that matter. And these people now, they were under the cloud. That is, they had guidance. They all went through the sea. But it says they were all baptized under Moses. Now, what does it mean? And here again, we're going to see an illustration of that word baptize, which we've talked about before and we need to emphasize that again here. Baptize means many things. I have a classical lexicon here, a Greek classical lexicon. I can give you 20 meanings for the word baptizo. And our translators never did translate it. They transliterated it. They just took it out of Greek and spelled it in the same word in English. Now, to try to say dogmatically what they had in mind would be very difficult because they didn't attempt to do that. All they did was just to spell it out. And today, a great many folk have it narrowed down to a very narrow meaning. Now, it means to identify. In fact, the water baptism is that. It speaks of our identification with Christ. We're buried with him by baptism, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. He identifies us 
with the body of Christ. He takes us and puts us in as a member. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now, we're going to get that in this epistle just a little later on. But here we have it. And so how were they baptized under Moses? Now, don't try to tell me that Moses had a baptismal service at the Red Sea and baptized him, because actually they did not get wet at all. It says they went over on dry ground, dry shot. That means that the sand was not even damp that they walked over on. It was dry. When God dried up the Red Sea for them, friends, he dried it up. They didn't have to go around any pools of water. Wasn't anything like that at all. But they didn't get in water. They didn't even get enough to dampen a wash rag. Wasn't that much for them. Now, the folks that really got wet were the Egyptians. They really got wet. They were soaked through and through. Now, don't then tell me that this happens to be water, because we're not talking about that, obviously, here. And certainly it's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says they were baptized under Moses. Now, what does that mean? Well, it simply means they were identified with Moses, because the 11th chapter of Hebrews says that by faith they crossed the Red Sea, which the Egyptians attempted to do. They were drowned. They got wet. But the children of Israel, they were identified under Moses. It says by faith they crossed the Red Sea. Whose faith was it? it wasn't theirs. They had none. Read the story. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and they were blaming Moses for bringing them out there into that awful wilderness. They wanted to go back, but it was Moses' faith. Moses went down. It was Moses who smote the Red Sea. It was Moses' rod that opened up those waters, and then he led them across. And when they came to the other side, what did they do? Read the record. It says they sang the song of Moses. And my, what a song it was. They are now identified under Moses. Now, that, may I say to you, is the picture, actually, of our salvation. Christ went through the waters of death, and we are brought through through his death, identified with him. And we are brought through where now we are identified to a living Savior, and we are baptized into Christ. And that's the way baptism saves us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that when we trust Christ, we're put in Christ. Now, water baptism illustrates that and is very important, but it's ritual baptism. Real baptism is of the Holy Spirit. So what we have here, these were baptized under Moses, and they were able to cross the Red Sea. They all ate the same spiritual meat, the manna. They drank from the rock. We're told that rock was Christ sets him forth. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Why? They were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, why is that given to us? We're told now why this is given to us. Now, all these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We see in these first five verses an illustration of the liberty that these people had as a nation. Now we see in this most searching section here that these people abuse their liberty, and he makes application of it for us today. It happened unto them for examples to us. Now, will you notice it was written, therefore, for you and for me today, and we ought to pay attention to it. 
And you'll notice here that these people had all this wonderful liberty, but what did they do? Well, we're told here that they lusted after evil things. And what were these things? They are mentioned to us in Numbers, the 11th chapter, the 4th verse. And many of you will recall that when we went through that, that they lusted after the leeks, the onions, and the garlic back in the land of Egypt. Everything they wanted grew on the ground or under the ground, if you'll notice. They said, oh boy, if we could only get back there, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I want to tell you, (laughs) they wouldn't make very good companions to walk along with them. And they didn't like the manna. They lusted, we're told, after evil things. Was there anything wrong with leeks, onions, and garlic? Well, it is if you're going to have company with you. And they lusted, and actually they desired, we're told. What does it mean by that? Well, that was the beginning of the defection of these people. Have you noticed how many places that it's desire that leads to sin? It started it all back in the Garden of Eden. It says, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Desire? What is that? It's a desire for something outside of the will of God. Now, what is desire? Well, I can't answer it. I wish some psychologist would answer it. I do not mean to constantly reflect on the psychologist. I do not want to be disrespectful to them, but you ask the next one to tell you what desire is. They haven't been able to yet. They talk about inhibitions and prohibitions, and they talk about desire, the supreme thing in life. Well, what is desire after all? Well, here it's to want that which is outside the will of God. It wasn't a will of God for them to have these things. They had them in Egypt, but not now. And it says, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it's written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And idolatry is anything you put in the place of God in your life. And again in verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, fell in one day three and twenty thousand. The sin of these people. And then we're told, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpents. Remember, they were told to look away to that brazen serpent in order to be saved. These people had continually murmured and complained against God. Verse 10, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, this is an illustration of those who want those things that are outside the will of God. God always today, always today, has something good for his people, but they constantly want something beyond the will of God. Now, will you notice, we read in verse 11, another now. Now, all these things happened unto them for ensamples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come. Now we are to learn a lesson from this. Our desire today 
is in the realm of the will of God. That's important, very important. Now we're told in verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I don't care who you are, you could fall today. It'd be very easy for you to blunder and stumble and fall. I don't care what saint you are. Therefore, you and I today need to be very careful that we stay in the realm of the will of God where we are not quenching the Spirit of God in our lives. Now he goes on. Now all these things happened on them, for example. They're written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, let's continue. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And a great many people today think that my nobody's ever had to be tempted like I am. Well, you've never had a temptation, my friend, that others haven't had the same kind of a temptation. And the very interesting thing is that God makes a way of escape for you, though, but God's faithful. He'll not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We need to recognize, Dr. Hutton used to say, he said, God always makes a way of escape, and sometimes the way of escape is the king's highway and a good pair of heels. That is, you let the devil see your heels, and that means you're running as hard as you can to get away from the temptation. And I think one of the reasons that a great many folk fall is sort of like the little boy. His mother heard a noise back in the kitchen at night. The little fellow was in the pantry, and he had the cookie jar down, and she said, Willie, where are you? And Willie said, I'm in the pantry. And she said, what are you doing? He says, I'm fighting temptation. My friend, that's not the place to fight temptation. You've got to start running. <laughs> Many of us need to get away from it. Like the little girl, for instance, and I think I've told this before, that she fell out of bed at night and began to cry. Mother came, picked her up, put her back in bed, and the mother said, how come you to fall out of bed? And she said, I think I stayed too close to the place where I got in. And that's another reason that a great many Christians fall today. They don't get very far in as a believer. They don't go on with God, not in the will of God. Now we are told here, verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. And idolatry was one thing there. It would not be a temptation today other than Covetousness is idolatry, and there's a lot of that around today. Verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now he's moved into the realm of the Lord's Supper, by the way. For we being many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh... Are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Are that which is offered in sacrifice idols is anything? Paul's argument here is quite logical. He says an idol is nothing. So if you offer something to an idol, that's nothing. It doesn't affect the meat at all. But he says, verse 20, still talking about Christian liberty, 
But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice the demons and not the God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with demons. Now, back of that sacrifice and that idol, that was demonism. And Paul recognized that. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. That is to eat things sacrificed to idols. For some people wouldn't be just this. And you'd need to recognize that. Now he says, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now we're going to have to save till next time the remainder of this chapter where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. This is sort of a parenthesis around this entire section concerning Christian liberty. We will conclude that next time. And of all things, we'll be talking about woman's dress. And that, by the way, is another controversial subject. But we'll have to wait till next time. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in the past few studies, haven't we? If you'd like to take some more time in these chapters, Dr. McGee's messages are available anytime for you at ttb.org. The Bible bus is moving ahead in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. I sure hope that you'll hop aboard and invite a friend to join us. Until then, if you need to be in contact, you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving you a seat on the Bible bus. Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.